Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 283 with Dr. Mandy Ruddick. How are you, Mandy? Good morning, Dale. Good morning to you. Now, what's the one thing that's made you smile the most in the last seven days? Oh, great question to start us off on a Monday morning. <laughs> um, my children. Oh, I thought you'd say that. And how have they made you smile? Have you got one example, one moment where you smile more than the others or just generally happy? Oh, look, and no doubt parents can probably connect with what I'm saying. You're a parent, Dale, a, a new one as well. Um, but, you know, I guess... For me, especially and and post COVID pandemic, I've made a real conscious effort to be more present. Um, and I I believe that um, with my children in particular, it's a really important component for for parents and individuals to try and adapt to. And so, just being present with them and enjoying the moment. So we have a lot of dance offs in the shower and sing offs, and uh, we have various activities that we sort of. We get uh, actively engaged with, you know, their favourite ones called Tickle Monster. So someone rings the doorbell and all of a sudden there's this monster at the door and that would be me (laughs) and she's got her tickly arms out. So it's all about really me connecting with my kids and I have identical twin boys as well as an older son and the dynamics of twins. Um, I'm a researcher as well. So when I put my researcher hat on versus my parent hat and you look at that twin dynamics and that nature versus nurture, it can be really fascinating. I I love that. And we will get into that. I think um, everything you just mentioned there though, none of it was about devices. And I absolutely love that. Do you know what I mean? It's And it goes back to just being present and playing in the moment. And um, I think that's the greatest gift we can give our kids. Um, And it it is easier said than done. I know as you're just saying that, I'm like, I could be more present. I think we could always work on different things, but it's really nice to hear that that's something that you're conscious of and focusing on. Yeah, absolutely, Dale. And look, I'm going to probably jump on your bandwagon and you're all about um, play and the benefits of of playfulness, etc. And I feel as though as an adult, we lose that as as we grow up. And to be able to reconnect with kids on that playful platform, it can be really uplifting for an adult. It, you know, increases your mood and, um, you know, it just enhances your well-being. It just makes you feel good. It gives you those endorphins and the warm fuzzies. 100% finds that inner child that a lot of us lost that we need to uh, tap into. So Mandy, let me, I've got a page here of your resume, which is bloody impressive. I'm not going to lie. We were connected through uh, a mutual friend, Ash Manuel, um, and I'm really grateful to be teaming up with you this year to be doing some research stuff around play like we just mentioned. But you've worked in the sport research and wellbeing industry for over 15 years. You've got a PhD at La Trobe Uni where you work in the public health and psychology. You work with the AFL, AFL coaches, AFL Players Association, AFL umpires, Beyond Blue, the AIS, you coach wellbeing, burnout, and occupational stress. You're the founding director of Elevate Wellbeing, and you're a super mum to three awesome boys. How the hell do you fit all that in? That's one of that is so impressive. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for that introduction. Oh, look, I love what I do, and um, I feel as though as I've gotten older as well, I've been able to identify um, the importance and um, um, what it is that motivates you and keeps you ticking. Um, 
we all have passion and I like to follow my passions. Um, my passions are obviously my family, my research, um, well-being and, and trying to work with individuals to try and get the best out of themselves. So I love what I do. Yep, there are challenging times um, in life like we all we all face. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's about enjoying what you're doing. What's that old saying? You know, if you love what you do, you, you really don't do a day of work. So, um, I guess that that's what I'm trying to to create in my life. I love that. And obviously the one thing I did miss there and why I want to bring that up now is you are the founding director of Elevate Wellbeing and Performance, where you've created an amazing group of individuals where you're essentially using all your knowledge and skill sets to essentially elevate people's wellbeing. And that's what I'm talking today about. It's basically improving your wellbeing in 2023. And um, what are you finding that people particularly around burnout and stress, because there's such big issues that we're facing and um, we've got the COVID hangover and I don't think that's going anywhere. What are you seeing uh, that people probably need more of to, I don't know, get that joy, like you just said, but bounce out of bed, really enjoy it. And and that, you know, burnout and stress, it's not going to sort of hamper, you know, their year going forward. I really feel it relates to that connection piece, Dale. Um, so especially for those in Victoria, we had the lo- longest lockdown in the world and we were isolated. We lost human contact. You know, um, We weren't even allowed to travel within five kilometres of our residence. So what we are seeing now within organisations um they appear to be a bit more people-centred focused now. So it's it's not always about the performance in the job because what organisations have identified is that if they have happy and satisfied people, the rest will just simply flow. Um, best businesses have great people and that's what I see organisations have been trying to implement post-COVID. They're trying to um, assist their people um, to enhance that connection piece to ensure that people are trying to obtain an appropriate work-life balance that works for them as an individual and also within the organisation too. So true. And and, and I, you would have seen there are some fantastic organisations that people want to get back in the office and want to be there. The ones that uh, are struggling a little bit is where people are sort of accepting the new COVID normal and that they don't want to go back in the office, but then they're missing that connection piece. Because as good as this is, you know, over Zoom and um, virtual hangouts and whatever it is, that human connection we crave. But people seem to be, I don't know, is it socially anxious or whatever it is? Like, how do we change that? That's a great question, Dale. So what we have seen, um, as you call it, the, the COVID hangover, we have seen an increase in anxiety. Um, We have seen an increase in um, people feeling isolated and less connected. And while organisations are trying to create that really cohesive, connective environment, there will be individuals or groups or whatnot that don't feel as though um, they're as comfortable pre-COVID being back in the office or maybe they've identified that working from home actually works really well for their family or whatnot. But as you said, there will be individuals that miss that interaction. Um, And I feel as though being a researcher and an academic as well, there were students that I taught for a number of years who had never set foot on a university campus. And if I reflect back to my university days, it was all about connecting (laughs) with other people across the campus. Uh, I met 
friends that were from the country or interstate or whatnot and um, this particular cohort of students that are just now starting to graduate or whatnot, they really miss that um, that ability to be able to actively engage with um, different cohorts. And what you're just saying there, because I'm thinking back to my uni days as well, and I don't think uni was about what I learned. It was about how I learned to make connections and, you know, people I met along the way. And now a lot of those people, are, obviously I did a teaching degree, a lot of the people that I went to uni with or, um, you know, was studying with that I made connections with, they're now principals and they're now leading teachers. And like, I'm getting a lot of work because of those connections I made for the people now though, that like you're just saying, they don't have that because they don't get the opportunity to build those connections. So how is that, how do you see that going to impact? Obviously they've got the knowledge, they've got the degree, which is brilliant, but Without that connection, they're really missing the vital piece. Very true. Um, and it is concerning for that next generation, especially those that um, have been more readily exposed to technology, iPads, iPhones, etc. and they've actually lost or weren't even taught or given the opportunity to have social interactions. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be a really challenging area um, for, for that generation that have gone through the COVID period um, and even for the younger generation that only know technology. So, you know, there are kids or teenagers or whatnot that have never grown up without the internet or some sort of technology. And no doubt if you reflect back to your childhood like I do as well, it was all about creativity and imagination and creating your own games and play and having to actually have a conversation with people. Um, my my Elevate team caught up at the start of the year and we went out for dinner and there's, that, there's still that online ordering and we were having a discussion about that, um, about how important it is to actually engage with the staff. So we would go up to the bar and order a drink and have a conversation because that's what we know. That's that's how we feel connected and it's how you build relationships, build rapport and enhance your communication skills. So I feel as though there are going to be a lot of challenges moving forward in that area. I, that is so true and it's really funny that you go to a place now, like a restaurant, and there's people there, but they say, I just saw it on the table. I'm like, what's what's the point of coming out? I'm not getting Uber Eats at your restaurant. I am. I want to engage with you. I want to have a conversation. I want you to take my order. Um, really interesting. What you're basically mentioning there is exactly what you're doing with your kids, you know, going back to the basics. And the basics are what we need because when you are playing, like we talk about, you're in flow, you're in motion, you become super creative. That's how we form our strongest social circles. So essentially those connections that people have missed, sometimes you just need to put yourself out there and try something new and particularly through play or a different situation to change the narrative of a conversation. Most definitely, and that's really important, but I guess what we also need to acknowledge as well that because of the increase in, in anxiety, et cetera, it can be really challenging for people. So we also need to learn how to facilitate that without um, feeling as though we're putting people in uncomfortable situations as well. So so true. And and that's there's a fine line and that's where there's not one hat that fits everybody. Um, but you've got to try something different, I feel. Like you've got to sometimes put yourself out there to get the greatest rewards. And I think that's what people need to do now that they can get comfortable going however they are. But unless they actively make a change themselves, nothing will change for them. 
And that's a fantastic point that you raise. And as you're saying that, I'm actually reflecting on Elevate Wellbeing and Performance and its evolution. Um, I was an elite athlete growing up and my sport of choice was swimming. And across that 20-odd years of swimming, I, I crossed paths with uh, an amazing group of, of people, um, organisations, etc. cetera, um, people who I learnt from, um, people who inspired me and motivated me, et cetera. And during the COVID period when I was feeling isolated like everybody else, so I, I was in a line of employment where I would engage with people and um, talk openly and, you know, show vulnerability. And I um, I just felt the need to reach out to people that I'd crossed paths with over the, the last 20 years. And we just started to talk about, what has been happening within the environment, um, obviously what um, these individuals are doing from a, a professional perspective. And I raised some questions to them about, well, there are so many amazing programs out there at the moment. There are so many highly qualified professionals with amazing experience. Why don't we bring together our knowledge and resources and create an amazing team where we can assist individuals and groups, organisations, businesses, sports teams to actually identify what it is that they can implement into their everyday life to enhance their well-being and, as a result, enhance their performance, whether it be in business, sport or life. And and I love that. And like what it really comes back, like you were saying, you enjoyed that question because nobody was going to do that for you. You reached out to people. And I talk about this all the time that you don't actually understand the impact of just connecting with someone you haven't spoke to for a while. And then, and that is one good thing about technology. It is so easy to do that now. And um, it's amazing what happens when you put the work in or you do that connection because it actually makes you feel probably better than the person anyway. But again, you've, you've got to be willing to do that, I suppose. Absolutely. As I said to this group, I said, look, this is my passion project. I, I want to bring us together and create something really unique. And if it works, great. If not, I've had a crack at it and I'll be satisfied with that. Um, and obviously the response that I got from those particular people that I reached out to was really supportive. And I feel as though we've created something special and I love working with them. Um, we each bring something different to the table. We each have our own unique areas of expertise, but together we're able to, to collaborate and, and achieve um, really great things. And it is an amazing team. I'll have links in the show notes, 283 episode to go and check that out and obviously have a look at obviously how Elevate could elevate your well-being and your business or your school or wherever you are. Um, how long had you been stewing on the idea of doing this? Was it was it something that deep down, Mandy, you always wanted to do and then COVID sort of gave you that kick in the bum to do it or was it just a whim? You're like, no, I'm just going to reach out and see what happens. To be honest, it wasn't something that I had thought about for a while. It was just, <laughs> it was just, it was almost like I just had this surge of, of wanting to hear what these amazing people were doing at the moment and how they were managing themselves during COVID as well. And maybe what we could do as a collective group to assist our communities or to assist different organisations, individuals or teams. So it really just started off with, with conversations and I am going to uh, give them a shout out because they're an amazing um, team, but sensational individuals on their own. We've got Brad McEwen, who is a, a mental health advocate, Beyond Blue ambassador. He was um, Channel 10 sports journalist. We've got Clint Bizzle, 
who was a AFL player for Geelong and Melbourne, and he's now an executive coach. Bill Nelson was an Olympic and world champion swimming coach. He was also my swimming coach. Um, so Bill opened my eyes up to, to high-level performance and um, was able to motivate me and mentor me through the swimming platform. Bill's um, team sports psychologist at the time was a man by the name of Anthony Clarica, who's also part of the Elevate team. And Anthony is an amazing sports psychologist. Um, he's worked with different sporting organisations in high performance and he's actually recently written a book about his experiences Hayden Kennedy was an AFL umpire for many years and also then went on to coach the AFL umpires. And I met Hayden in the in the latter parts of my career and we just meshed. Um, Hayden and I both knew the importance of um, implementing different types of training or wellbeing programs into the sporting context. So Hayden is one of our team members. We've got Joe Parna and I cross paths through a mutual friend with Joe many years ago and Joe um, is an expert in human behaviour and he likes to look at the emotional fitness components of individuals. And we also have Dr Carly Harrison and Carly was actually um, a PhD student of mine many years ago and she was investigating mindfulness um, within the Australian Ballet. So we have since collaborated on a research perspective um, since then. So that is our team of eight and um, six of us are based in Melbourne, two of us, two of them are interstate, um, but we, uh, we love working together. It's a really dynamic group. Uh, it's a lot of fun as well and we feel as though um, we've got some really unique um, offerings to different organisations. Well, you definitely do. And it's really fitting that you've just mentioned that because the three pillars of your business that connect, collaborate and achieve, you have built connections all through your life. Over COVID, you collaborated with them and now you're achieving as a team. It's pretty, That's if, if there's any ever incentive for people to stay in contact with people or just reach out, particularly like you're saying, Bill was your coach growing up and now you're working together. You, ne you never know where something will go. It must be pretty cool looking, you know, as you mentioned your team, even some in Victoria, some around the state, no matter where, but they that's your life work essentially of building connections. And now together you're helping other people. That must be pretty refreshing. It is. It's a really rewarding position to be in. Um, we love what we do. We had a really powerful session with uh, Men's Shed towards the end of last year. Um, we had 250 participants um, at the Venator Club, just a, in the local area, and it was all about um, men really opening up and being vulnerable and hearing about mental health and well-being and how instrumental it can be to just assist us as individuals and obviously our well-being moving forward. But there's been no consistency across the the organisations that we have worked with. They've been very diverse, uh, but that also makes it really inspiring as well. And when you're when you're looking at that overarching theme of well-being and performance, it can be embedded anywhere. It can be embedded, you know, in your home, in your personal life. It can be embedded um, into an athletic program. It can be embedded into an organisation. We know as individuals and we strive for this, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. So what is it that we can do to assist ourselves or others to be able to come and become that better version? I, I love that. And the word you just mentioned before, particularly, I think this is, and I always struggled with this, Mandy, was being vulnerable and how to do that in a, 
I suppose in a positive way, because if you can do it in a positive way, it's actually a superpower. Do you mean it? It's actually really empowering for other people around. But what I often find in early years of my life, you'd be vulnerable after you'd had 15 beers. Do you know what I mean? You'd, you'd open up about different things and then that would be it. And I'm guessing at a men's shed, I, I know uh, my father runs a similar thing in Shepherd and he's done it for 25 years. And the impact that it has, because they teach, they teach these men how to be vulnerable in it, in the right way um, and how to make it a positive instead of, you know, just losing, like just explaining everything rah, 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 and then moving on, nothing happens about it. Um, is that something that obviously working, you said over 200 people in the room at the men's shed, um, is that something that you obviously spoke to them about? And and if so, how do, you, how do you sort of get that across to try and encourage men and women, it doesn't matter whoever, but particularly I find men are, a lot less inclined to be vulnerable because they think it's weak. I know that's becoming less and less of a stereotype, but it's still there. It is, and you're correct there. So we've seen a huge forward movement in that space, particularly with men. Um, but, you know, 20, 10 years ago, it was all about, oh, you know, toughen up, boys don't cry, men don't cry, um, you'll be right, mate, you know, brush it off, stand up, that sort of thing. So... Um, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest, at this uh, men's shed, um, but what we did do was create a safe space. So um, we presented some information about mental health and wellbeing. Um, I spoke about um, what the research has shown in relation to why men don't talk. Um, so I feel as though that opened up a platform for men to sit back and then think, oh, okay, I understand that now. And then that just um, gave us some forward movement and people started to engage. They started to ask questions. They started to um, to tell their stories, which was really powerful. I love that. And, and I think the biggest thing you just mentioned there is whenever you're speaking or working with people, you need to build trust. You need to build a relationship. Like we're talking about, you know, connect, collaborate, achieve. It, it doesn't matter where you are, whatever session you're doing, um, you need to win people over. And I'm guessing, like you just said, you do that through actual research and data of what you found. Does that just... Does that blow people's mind and then like they sort of take notice? Is is that like when the light bulb goes off for people? Because I do it differently, obviously using play, and you can see I take people to a different state. But you've got the data, you've got the research. Does is that when you see people like fully focused and just want more because you've sort of you've impressed them and wowed them? Well, I'll just say, well, the research does show that anything <laughs> that is evidence based, obviously. Um, um, yeah, evidence-based learning, evidence-based material provides you with that that solid data or foundation to to, to communicate or to openly interact with um, the key messages that you're you're trying to um, bring across to the organisation. So, I am very much a researcher. I um, I do draw on a lot of theory and a lot of evidence, but I also like to put a positive uh, a personal spin on it too. So. Um, I'll give you the example and revisit the men's shed situation. So I did look at the theory and what the researchers said, but then I also told my story about being a mother to three young boys. And um, I don't want them to be raised in an environment where there is that toxic masculinity. I want them to know that it's okay to, to communicate and be vulnerable and open up and build those really important relationships and empathise. So although when I do put my professional hat on, I do refer to a lot of research, I also 
and we'll take it back to that connection piece, I connect with the audience based on my experiences as well. Um, so whether that be as a mother or whether that be my experiences working with the people from the Elevate team, um, I have a lot of history with those individuals and there's a, a lot of information there and I'll bring it back to Bill Nelson. So we would train up to 10 times a week. Sometimes um, our weekly sessions would get up to 80 to 100 Ks. We would always do this week called Hell Week and it was, it was very, very challenging. Um, but it's those experiences and how we can share stories together that really builds on the evidence that you can utilize as a professional in the industry. I, I love that. And you're probably going to think, Mandy, that I've got nothing else to talk about, but um, bringing it back to vulnerability, that's essentially when you're telling your story about, you know, being a mother and like you said, you want positive role models in your boy's life. That comes down to you being vulnerable and sharing. You've obviously built the platform with uh, giving them the data and stats, but, that's the real hook, isn't it? When they, you, you really win them over by sharing something deep to you. Totally agree with that. And some of the, the research and the reading that I've loved doing of late is um, obviously Brene Brown and she talks about the power of vulnerability. Um, and I probably, in the, in the early days of Elevate, when I think about, well, is when I thought about is this going to work or is, am I just being crazy thinking that I can actually pull this off, I actually thought about one of Brene's quotes and it was in relation to, to the individual in the arena. So it's, you know, it's that person that actually shows up and, and has a crack at it. It's not the person that's sitting in the outer or, you know, in the, the external seats criticising the person that's in the arena. It's the person that's actually doing the doing in the arena. And I just thought, you know what, what have I got to lose? Um, I'm passionate about um, what I do. I'm passionate about my messages. I'm passionate about the people that I work with. So um, vulnerability is just one piece of that puzzle. I love that. And and obviously, you know, 15 plus years as a researcher in the profession, you know, focusing around well-being and things, I can imagine that when you started out, it wouldn't have been about vulnerability. Like, but now you're obviously really, you're seeing the power that can have. How have you developed as a researcher as you have, with all your life experiences and everything, how has that changed? Dramatically. Uh, so when I commenced, <laughs> I'm sure it has. <laughs> <laughs> when I commenced researching, um, I guess if I take you back to sort of, my undergraduate and then moving through the honours program and and I was offered a, a position to, to undertake PhD research and I knew I wanted to do some research in the sporting space because um, I was passionate about sport. Um, I was really interested in the components of injury and how that affects um, an athlete or an individual but what I found quite surprising is that um, the research in relation to the psychological impact of injury was quite minimal now bearing in mind this is 20 years ago now um, so we have evolved dramatically so I thought well maybe this is the area that I would like to research so when I, I looked into a lot of the literature I looked into the sports that had been examining um, this particular aspect of injury I was quite surprised to identify that no research had been done uh, within the Australian Football League looking at the psychological impact of injury so I thought well, there's my cohort, that is my study, this is what I'm going to research. Now, 
for somebody like myself who A, didn't grow up supporting a team, B, knew nothing about football, <laughs> and C, was a young female in the industry way back when. So I, it was a really challenging uh, environment for me. I did a lot of door knocking. Um, I sent my CVs around. I would pitch my research piece. I got a lot of doors shut in my face, etc. But it took one person to to pick up um, my CV. And once again, we talk about that connection piece. So one of my referees on my CV happened to be the cousin of the person who picked up my CV. And at the time, um, that was that was Peter Road, and Peter Road was working with Terry Wallace at the Western Bulldogs Football Club. And um, the story goes that Peter rung his cousin and said, "Hey, what can you tell me about this chick? I've just seen her CV come across <laughs> my desk. She wants to do research in the sport of AFL. What can you tell me?" So that was really my first foot in the door. It was through the connections that I had made. Um, that person in my CV was my VCE teacher um, and, yeah, his cousin was Peter Road. And it was just that one opportunity and the belief that one person had in me um, that really assisted that trajectory for me moving forward. I won't lie, it was a really a really challenging task. Um, uh, I guess... 20-odd years ago, there weren't a lot of females in the, the AFL environment, um, but it was a fantastic opportunity to research a unique group of individuals and my main study actually followed um, AFL players that became long-term injured. Um, so I was I was researching within three clubs at that stage, Richmond, Essendon and the Western Bulldogs, and what I would do, I would, I would track track the weekend games, I guess, to see if any long-term injuries had occurred. Um, obviously a really unfortunate situation for those that were actively involved, but those that did injure their knee, needed um, ACL um, surgery, etc., they became part of my study. So I tracked them from the time they became injured to when they actually returned to play. So for some of them, it was a, a really extended period of time, but it was fascinating looking at their mood states, looking at their emotions, looking at their coping mechanisms and looking at their social support networks. So that was my main research piece throughout my PhD and the football industry is full of connections and it was for me a really unique opportunity to to learn from others as well um and also um yeah move on with others so terry took me to to richmond um from there i did some work at the afl coaches association i was their well-being manager for a number of years and um credit to, to mark brayshaw who was the ceo at the time he wanted to implement some sort of a screening tool for the AFL coaches so we could actually monitor their mental health and wellbeing. Um, so we created a psychometric tool that was implemented into the organisation. and We had a really great buy-in from the AFL coaches. Generally speaking, we would get 85 to 90% response rate from the 180-odd coaches across the AFL system. Um, and it was a, a really useful tool that the organisation could use. And then we obviously filtered feedback to to the AFL clubs who were involved as well. So that then um, uh, moved my research from coaches into to the area of umpires because 
Obviously, they are in a highly pressurised workplace environment. Um, they are scrutinised. Um, their, their every move is, is critiqued, um, for better or worse. Uh, but it, that, once again, it was a really important cohort um, that, that didn't have any data to actually identify what sort of um, highly functioning individuals they were, what were their coping mechanisms like, um, what was their depression, anxiety, stress levels like at the time of, um, of umpiring. Um, and then, yeah, once again, you talk about that connection piece and I will keep bringing it back to that. And it's within the industry we talk about it's not what you know, it's who you know. And although I speak very highly about the importance of qualifications and whatnot, but it's the importance of the relationships that you make along the way as well. Um, so I had a research piece with the Australian Institute of Sport and their high-performance coaches as well. And this was um, just prior to, to the COVID pandemic period. Um, obviously, COVID turned a lot of um, sporting clubs, environments, upside down sport was cancelled for for an extended period and what we are seeing now obviously is uh, that um, reinvigoration of community sport um, state national international sport etc um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to to doing more research this year this year my research piece will be with the nrl they're looking at uh, um, mental health and well-being across their their coaching um their coaching staff as well as their their leaders and referees as well so you talk about the importance I guess of having that um, educational background behind you Dale which is really important um, but I do bring it back to that connection piece and your ability to actively engage with individuals um, or different groups and to show a vulnerability and to show that you are human that you do make mistakes that you learn to grow and one of the topics that we talk about in the Elevate Wellbeing and Performance Program is strategies for growth and how we can continue to evolve as individuals. Wow. And just sitting back, that is so impressive. And from where you started, I think so many people these days, Mandy, are scared to reach out to somebody in case they will knock them back or in case they won't be accepted or they don't want to release something in case they're judged. Um as you just spoke about your amazing career there and everything you've done from starting out, you know, with Peter Road and Terry Wallace at the Western Bulldogs to now obviously with the NRL doing a really, really big piece, what are you most proud of that 20 odd years ago that you were able to break into a male dominated industry and actually like sm smash the glass ceiling? Like in your progression is incredible, but it's also because of the connection and the hard work and your qualification, all of that goes hand in hand. What do you, is there one part you're most proud of or are you just proud of, I guess, the journey that you have taken and where it's evolved and, and where you are now? Is it, do you, is there something that is like the, the moment that you're like, wow, that, that makes me fuzzy. That makes me feel really good inside. Um, I think there are a few standout moments, Dale. Um, I'll give you a quote from my late mother, who was probably my, my biggest supporter, um, we'd always talk about reaching the glass ceiling. And I remember that she said to me one day, what's the point in reaching the ceiling when you can smash right through it? And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's something that's probably stuck by me. Um, but probably from where I started to where I am now, and, and you talk about um, 
people are worried about having the door slammed in their face or people are very concerned about what other people think about them. Um, and I guess for me, I've just tried to let my work and my research do the talking. Um, I've grown as an individual, both personally and professionally, and I guess I feel as though I'm at the stage now where I have my network, I have my support team, and I am who I am, take it or leave it. Um, you know, mistakes help us grow. Um, I'm not the person that I was 20 years ago, but I've got some amazing experiences and stories and life lessons that have created the version of me that you see today. Um, yeah, so I guess from that perspective, I'm, I am a highly motivated and driven individual as well. I do... Um, I take pride in my work. I always have. Um, but, you know, something, you talk about the warm fuzzies and I guess for me it's it came from a comment from my eldest son. Um, I had actually gone out to do a, a presentation and um, it was a late night, so the next morning he sort of snuggled into bed with me and he goes, Mum, how was your presentation last <laughs> night? Yes, I was like, oh, well, thank you for asking. And I said it was fantastic. And he goes, Mummy, I'm so proud of you for oh. being a mummy and also going to work. So for me, that's, um, you know, I can't ask for anything more than, than that. Um, my children know that I'm there for them, but that I also have things that I'm passionate about as well. Um, and they like to hear what I'm doing in the professional world as well as as well as being their mum. So I guess the things that I'm most proud of, if I could put it down to one or two words, it would be the connections that I've made, the people that I've met, um, and and how I have evolved over time and then what I've created in my little family. So that's the four key points. Wow. I, that, and all work aside, um, what you just mentioned about your eldest there, that's something that will light you up no matter where you are. Like That's that's amazing. And I, I think one of the biggest things that you probably should be proud of is, you know, you are a mum first, but then you're also showing your three lovely sons how important it is to chase your dreams. And I think that's one thing we talk about, you know, being vulnerable, which you are on so many levels, but also giving it a crack. You know, like you said with Brene Brown, it's very easy to criticise when you're not in the arena. Um, but actually doing that, it's very hard, isn't it? It is, most definitely. And I think um, our biggest critics are ourselves. Um, so we need to be content and confident and happy with what we are bringing to the table. Um, and I think if you can get to that stage, then that criticism um, that you may have felt is just washed away um, because once you you know your self-worth and you feel confident in, in who you are and the messages um, that you want to communicate and, you know, if someone doesn't want to listen to me, that's okay. I have no <laughs> issues with that. Um, you know, um, I, I talk about being a mother, but being a mother is a very unique process as well. I don't preach to be the best mum in the world. It's a, it's a learning process. You learn as you go. Um, but I'm open to, to hearing about other people's stories. And I hope that I can share that as well with individuals. And I guess that comes from 
um, also links to the work that I've done in elite sport and um, in the research space. Um, there is a lot of knowledge and information out there. Um, Evidence-based research is obviously top-notch research, um, but sometimes you might take it on board um, and that's then opens the door for further research. Well, how can we build on that? What else do we need to know? So um, life is about moving forward. It's about utilising different foundations to support you as an individual or as a professional um, to, to then use those foundations to 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 build and create something better or a better version of yourself. Oh, that's powerful. There's a, there's a mic drop moment, Mandy, that was just it, which I absolutely love. Is there something when you're talking and working and presenting that is there a question you wish people asked you more? Like, is there something that you think people don't un actually understand that would be really beneficial for them if they ask that question? Yes. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Excuse me, Dale. Um, right. So, <laughs> they don't often ask the question, but I often give them the answer. <laughs> Good, and... I, I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> so what I generally communicate to people is why I do what I do. And I guess that if it came from an external, the question would be, why do you do what you do? Um, and I, I think I've just um, elaborated on that in the conversations that we've had Um I do what I do because I'm passionate, because I'm a life learner. I want to continue to learn. I want to learn from others as well. But I also hope that um, the information that I communicate, um, I hope that it can make a difference. And even if it just makes a difference for one individual, I'll be absolutely satisfied. Um, but if I can, if I feel as I'm making an impact um, for, for more, um, that's fantastic. And you know, as a teacher at um, in a tertiary institution, randomly, sometimes at the end of the semester, you might get an email from a student to say, thanks very much for the semester. What I've learnt this semester has been brilliant and I thank you for that. And what I try and do as a teacher is bring a lot of the practicalities of what I've learnt into my teaching forums um, to make it real life because we can all learn facts and figures from books, um, but it, it is about how we connect the information that we've learnt into real life practices. Um, and sometimes that takes time and sometimes that takes a lot of failures, um, but that's what I like to, to communicate to people and that's why I do what I do to, to try and make a difference. Mm, I, I love that, Mandy. I think that's one reason I've... Uh, really like working with you because you do have the stats and data and the research, but then you're actually giving people practical ways to inject it in their life and improve, essentially elevating their well-being. So to wrap it up, if you were going to give maybe two wisdom bombs to people listening along, how they could maybe improve their well-being in 2023, what would be your top two? The first one would probably be uh, be kind to yourself. Oh, um, love that. So. <laughs> I feel as though what we have seen post-COVID is we've gone from a very um, quiet period of time where we were very restricted and people have then tried to jump straight back into what life was like pre-COVID and we know that life will never be the same again. It's very different 
um, expectations are very different. I feel as though our expectations on ourselves are very different as well, um, which is why I encourage people to be kind to themselves. So if that email doesn't get answered at 8.30 at night while you're reading a bedtime story to your child, that's okay. That email will still be there at 7.30 the next morning. Um, if, um, if you don't quite get the work that you had hoped to get done completed today, but yet your deadline's not for another three days, that's also okay. Give yourself permission to shut the computer down. Be kind to yourself. Um, provide positive feedback to yourself as well. You know, today was a really tough day, but I got through it and I did okay. So that would be my first piece, to be kind to yourself. Um, once again, connection, um, the importance of learning from others. Um, you might also learn about yourself while you're learning from others as well. Um, so it's really important to, to reflect on your own pathway or journey and, and reflect upon where you're at currently. Um, and probably never be afraid to try new things. I feel as though as we get older, maybe we get set in our ways, um, but we should be continually growing and evolving as human beings. Um, and I feel as though that's really important. Um, yeah, being the best version of yourself and just also being um, full stop. We are human beings, so we are here to, to be to, yeah. to be present and enjoy the moment. So true. We're not human doing or human busy or human working. We are human beings. I think exactly what you just said, it is so important to love yourself first. Like it is so simple to say it, but how badly do people speak to themselves and they'd never ever say it to anybody else, Mandy. I think we've got to start loving ourselves and that's where it starts. If you love yourself, then you can love others. You can be kind to others. I think that is brilliant. So one last time, where can we find Elevate and why does Elevate need to come to the listeners? That's a wonderful throwover. Thank you, Dale. So <laughs> you can find Elevate on um, social media platform, Instagram. It's at Elevate Oz. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Elevate Oz. Um, our website is www.elevateoz, which is aus.com.au. And we have come together. Firstly, we offer a really unique group of individuals um, to connect with your organisation or you as an individual. We collaborate with you to create unique programs that are tailored to the requirements of our audience um, in order to achieve. So to enhance wellbeing, to increase self-awareness, to optimise performance and strategies for growth based on our interactive workshops, presentations and seminars. So that is who we are. Well, I absolutely love that. And I can guarantee people listening along, Mandy, are like, wow, we want a little bit more of this. And the best place would be just go and check out the website, have a look at the team, how impressive it is. And obviously the first three minutes of today's podcast, I went through a resume that is super impressive. So Mandy, that was your resume. And thank you so much for your time today on the podcast and sharing. And um, I think it is so powerful, the message that you're getting across. And I really hope people can take it on board. So once again, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Dale.